talk too much. Just talk a little bit. You don't eat much, you don't talk much. <laughs> I'm just listening. This is the Just Listening Podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. This is Just Listening. I'm Eric John. And before we get into it, I've got to tell you about my friend John Scambato over at Yacht Club Soda. Man, this soda just gets better and better and better every time I have it. And look, it, we're, we're getting into the heat of summer now. I mean, it's it's June. It's uh, getting hot outside. And uh, man, there's nothing better than enjoying an ice cold Yacht Club soda right out of the glass bottle. Uh, so get yourself to yachtclubsoda.com today. Uh, you can mix and match. You can pick whatever flavors you want. Blue raspberry, lemon lime, orange cream, strawberry. They've got grapefruit. You can even get quinine tonic water if you want. They've got everything. And you don't have to live in Rhode Island anymore to enjoy this amazing soda. You can, man, if <laughs> if I could order this soda, if I lived in Montana, if I lived in Kansas, if I lived in Texas and I knew I could order Yacht Club Soda, uh, anytime I wanted to, man, I, I'd be ordering it by the truckload. It's that good. So go to yachtclubsoda.com today and place your order. Okay, on the show today, uh, we've got Big Ben DeCastro. Um, though anyone who lives in Rhode Island knows Ben. Um, even if you even if you don't think you know Ben, you know Ben because he's everywhere. Uh, he's sort of a local influencer, uh, super influencer. Uh, if you, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I got to know Ben a few years back. Uh, we did some stuff with the pizza art. We, we did some fun collaborations, uh, came and filmed me making a, a Taylor Swift uh, one. He did a couple interviews. Uh, we did a Macho Man pizza together that he uh, filmed. And um, he's a great guy. He's got a really cool uh, life story. And the reason I wanted to have Ben on mostly um, was to talk about his experience uh, going through the adoption process. Um, uh, ben and his wife have this, uh, beautiful little girl that they adopted. Um, but they, you know, they, they, there were some fits and starts and, and, and different problems they ran into, um, and, and they fostered children. And I'm, I'm going to let Ben tell the entire story because it's really interesting. And it, it occurs to me that, you know, a lot of people don't know how this works. They don't really understand how the adoption process works. I certainly really have no idea how it works. And um, it's, it's really amazing to me. And it's really awesome that there's people out there who want to adopt children and foster children. Um, and and we need people like Ben and, and his wife out there to, to, to do that because there's lots of kids who don't have a home. Um, so, uh, so and we talk about some other stuff as well. So, um, Ben, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure and honor truly to be here <laughs> with the the man the 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 king of pizza art and everything uh, that you do uh, outside of the bakery there what's going on thanks ben uh not too much um really glad you uh were, you know were willing to come on the show and uh, you know you're such an interesting guy and you've done so many different things and there's a bunch of things i wanted to talk to you about and um for those listening um i actually i met ben um, through the pizza art, he came and did some really fun stuff with me. Uh, I think we, we did a Macho Man Randy Savage pizza production. We did a Taylor Swift uh, video, um, uh, which was really fun. And uh, I had a really great time hanging out with you doing that stuff. And, which, by uh, the way, the, the cool thing about what you do is because of, of, of timing and everything, I remember you did the you did the Macho Man Randy one and you, you kind of did some uh, some time lapse with your phone and whatnot. 
and you sent it over to me and I and I just, you know, duped over it some audio and some sound drops of of the uh, macho man and then yeah. I believe that was was that when he had passed or he had something had happened he had reached a milestone and then he had passed so it was like, you know, yeah, able to reuse it. Yeah, I I think um, I don't remember if it was, if we did it like right when he passed, I, I know, I think it might've been for his birthday. That um, might've been it. Yeah. Or we might've redone it for his birthday or something. I don't really, I don't remember, but the, 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 the audio over the top of it was so great. It was the, the you know, a lot of the famous like cream of the crop type stuff. Yes. And um, yeah. so it was so funny. I still love like reposting that like all the time, <laughs> like, but that's love- such a great thing that you have there because, you know, so we did, I came in one day to your shop there and I actually did the time lapse of you doing the Taylor Swift. That's right. Uh, you know, build art creation and, you know, looking at it, you know, she's on tour right now with a huge mega mega tour. And if you haven't had a chance to, check out some of the video footage from it i mean it's, a, it's oh an my my feed is flooded with like like youtube shorts and instagram reels oh yeah it's, it's insane I've, I've watched a few of the shows uh thanks to tiktok um yeah right. it, 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 uh, I've, I've watched many a ufc event via yeah. tiktok as well <laughs> i uh i upset a lot of people on the first night of the tour because i, I for some reason i mean i have adhd and i'm sure we'll get into this at some point so every now and then my sleep schedule will be all messed up. And I was just up that night. And so I just started fan girling, fanboying, however you want to say it. <laughs> and just every song she was singing, I was tweeting out, I can't believe she's doing this. She's doing, she's doing uh, whatever song. I forget whatever song. And just like <laughs> that, I, I, I started doing it from, I was in bed. And my wife eventually said, go to your office. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, what what did you tell me to do go where there's more resources okay and now i can copy paste tweets lyrics from like she just dove into the state she's singing about houses from the inside of a house that's moving (laughs) on stage and at one point i thought it was funny and uh i said stevie nicks has nothing on taylor oh geez oh boy did i did i kick the hornet's nest you pissed off a whole bunch of 50 year olds i I really did and uh, i said and I, well, I think one of the tweets said, I said, she's singing about a she's she's singing in a moving house about cardigans. Stevie Nicks is sleeping in a cardigan right now. What <laughs> is funny. this? And, and just like, oh. you know, I, I feel I, I feel like we have this in common where people don't sometimes don't get our sense of humor and they get real. Well, <laughs> like, a lot know. of a lot of people do. And that's the thing that, that I have to remember. There's a lot of people out there who do get my sense of humor or do know that it, you understand what I do and what I, I use certainly Twitter do. for. I love it. And, and so, uh, you know, it's the people who are the diehard, you know, Stevie Nicks fans. Cause they thought I was, you know, legitimately ridiculing Steve. Like I, I'm not, like, I'm not doing that. Come on. Like, and then all of a sudden I'm getting notes from people like, is this the kind of example you want for your daughter? Oh, and look, you made a video using a Stevie Nicks song five years ago. Hey, you know, oh, it was good enough for you then. It's all right. Okay. Oh, yeah, people really think they got you. It's like, <laughs> calm, calm down. Everything's okay. This is Twitter. Okay. Oh, and, boy. and, and you just like me are nobody. So <laughs> let's relax here. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, so. I, I, I do. I, I love your sense of humor. You're constantly making me laugh on Twitter and different things. And, you know, I think it's it's a it's a brand of humor that I love. It's it's a lot of it is like not taking things so seriously and uh, even things that might like 
seem serious or that even that people really love like people are really into taylor swift but like come on it's 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 a, a singer having you know doing a big tour singing a bunch of songs like if you can't poke fun at that what can you poke fun at like there's plenty of things to make fun of about it you know what i mean and here's what i love about the fact about taylor swift because i've had you know experience in performance in various various elements um she is employing literally hundreds and hundreds of people oh yeah on this tour the amount of of thought and planning and and just technology that went into this tour is insane and people who are paying absorbent fees to go see this show will be thoroughly entertained and yeah i'm having some fun with it and you know do you know the the it's i i like that kind of humor but it just because i'm you know poking fun at something doesn't mean i, I don't respect it i mean i have a tremendous respect for her i have tremendous respect for, for for stevie nicks i'm saying it on the record here ladies and gentlemen it's well it's like, funny too because you could do a whole thing where like like you're constantly like every show she does you're constantly like saying how awful it is because you're pissed off that you weren't able to get tickets you know what i mean it could be like a whole thing but like you're not really saying that it's a horrible show you're just bitter and it's like that's the whole joke but like people will take it seriously and think that you, you know, they'll, they'll, oh, yeah. you'll get a million responses what do you what do you think about people that say that taylor swift is a rhode islander what is that what, what's your thoughts on that i mean she pays taxes so that's so that's helpful. <laughs> right i mean that's a that's a good thing yeah i mean she's she does have obviously she has property in the southern part of rhode island uh, from what i've heard from people uh neighbors and that neighborhood not they're not really big fans of the fact that she's down there because when she comes down there it's kind of like this it brings with it like the tmz the paparazzi and everything oh yeah i'm sure so uh i i it's i would have i thought it would have been great i would have really i think but <clears throat> again i don't um i don't i don't falter for this I, i'll never be the person that say well you should do this you owe us this i thought it would have been cool because the whole pc providence college friars thing last year when they won the big east and they made that big oh uh, yeah right that song. big deal about the taylor swift song right. you belong with me uh to the point where i even convinced um ron and pete cardi over at cardi's furniture to change the billboard to 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 put a message up and and ask taylor swift to attend i thought it would have been cool if if she would have been able to be part of something at pc this year for that season you know in the beginning and whatnot before it all fell apart um <laughs> right. but the but i thought that would have would have been something cool does does she have the bandwidth the capacity does she, i mean it that's that's a lot. It's kind of like when, and I don't mean to compare it like this, but when there's a, a natural disaster somewhere, you know, there's like, there's always the traditional like, okay, and the president is going to tour the area. It's like, do you know how much resources that takes away from the recovery effort? Right. Uh, Just if, for something if, that's basically like a political stunt, right? Exactly. I mean, for the most part. And when, when Taylor Swift, if Taylor Swift was to go to the dunk to do a surprise halftime or a surprise quick thing, do you know how many resources that would take? Now, granted, would it be worth it in the end for the photos and the social media and everything? Sure, but it would be that would be a lot, you know, to just to, to execute. And really, that, clearly, that's not the focus of the PC Friars men basketball team. It would have to be other people. So it's just it's a lot. So I don't. Like people were like, oh, she should have come and done a performance. It's like, well, I don't falter for not doing it. 
You know, it's you know, it would have been cool, yes, but I also understand the thing called logistics. Right. And she is and, kind of on a different level. Like I've heard of um like uh Bruce Springsteen and Mick Jagger, you know, showing up at places unannounced, kind of incognito, sure. but she's even on kind of a different level from them because um I mean, as big as like someone like Bruce Springsteen is, for instance, uh, I mean, she's just she's just I mean, she's a modern day Beatles. I mean, in, in a sense, I mean, she's that enormous. Um, and the, re- so the reason I asked you about the Rhode Islander thing is because I feel like you're in a very small category of people that I just think when I think of like a quintessential Rhode Islander, like you're one of the people I think of. And I don't know if it's because of that viral video you did, um, uh, you know, a few years ago or what. But it's like, you know, I think of it's like Buddy Cianci, Bob Healy, Ben DeCastro. Like, I just oh, put, geez, I just wow. put you in that. <laughs> like, I just two, de- two dead guys, then Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're now you're, look, now you're all on your soon. own. You're all Coming on your soon. own now. <laughs> you got to hold up that mantle. That's carry right. It, carry it forth. That's um, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate that. I mean, Buddy Cianci, obviously, he's a legend in and of himself. I had uh, a number of interactions with him uh, and, and he was always very you know very kind and very generous and I've, I've heard tons of stories you know from from various people around that worked with him in providence and whatnot uh bob healy incidentally uh who was the cool moose i actually um had a i had met him a few times i live in warren he's from barrington the east bay you'd see him driving around uh he had fortunately passed uh, a number of years ago but um when they where I live is over near a place called Water Rower, which is they make those rowing machines. And uh, funny story is he was representing people who lived behind that factory where, where my where property of mine kind of abuts. And it was just this whole back and forth thing. And I had made an offer to him in the town of War, like I had made a three way offer to. The, the company, the town of Warren and to Healy representing the, his clients. And I, you know, I just, I'd made this offer and, you know, it was, it really, it was a, a four way win. I thought for everybody. Uh, and then he died. And uh, unfortunately, and he was one of those guys that, you know, just, he was kind of like Jim Henson had a wait and see attitude and well, it, it cut the better of him, unfortunately. And Oh so, yeah. No, I, it, I actually, I worked, so I worked with Bob in 2014 when he ran for governor. Okay. Um, you know, for just the couple of months that he ran. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, you know, it's funny. He, he just had a very like, um, go with the flow sort of, you know, things will happen when they happen sort of attitude. Um, well, he had, he also had this attitude of, he, he would take classes at colleges and universities just for the sake of it. Yes. You know, it was, he called it mental masturbation. I mean, it was like, <laughs> like, okay. It's it, something he would say. Yeah. And I, like the time he told me, like, all right, that's an interesting way of putting that. But, um, but that was just his thing is he was so smart and he loved knowledge and he really didn't care what other people thought. Yeah. There was this moment in, uh, in one of the debates where I think they asked a question, um, like, what's your biggest regret? or something in life and you know they went to alan fong and then they went to gina and they and they obviously they both gave an answer and they got to bob and he was like i don't really regret anything and i remember gina turned to him and was like is that true or really he's like yeah yeah and she and she was like and she was like well and then he said um oh he said uh, i've had i've led a charmed life and it was just such a it was it just really was such a stark contrast it was like 
yeah, like, you know, I'm sure I've done some things I wish I didn't do maybe, but at the same time, like those mistakes led to where I am today. And what's the point of really looking back and having regret, you know, and that really kind of encapsulated his whole, his whole aura and his whole personality. Um, If, if video memes were popular back then, they kind of were, but they weren't as much as they are now. You got to think that's almost 10 years ago or over 10 years ago or right right, 10 years ago. But as soon as, you know, Gina, who is now the secretary of commerce in Washington, DC, uh, as soon as she like turns away, you slow the video up and black and white it, and you play. No one knows what it's like <laughs> to be the sad. Like just like she's like <laughs> contemplating her whole life at that point, and be like, "Wow, I can't say that about myself." I've been. Uh, she was about to be elected governor at that point. That's right. <laughs> just like, but that that's true, and I, I remember the other part of that debate that I remember. I believe it was a, a Channel Twelve debate. It was at the PPAC where Bob Healy was positioned in the middle of the two of them. Yes. And yes. they were arguing back and forth. And at one point he kind of looked at the moderators and just like, like kind of threw his hands up. He goes, and you want to elect either. You want to elect one of these two? Oh, like it was, <laughs> it was um, everybody in the, in the auditorium laughed. I mean, yeah. even Gina people, Fung people, um, you know, we were, you know, we were really loud. Um, uh, I remember in, in the front row, a bunch of us um, wore these big fake beards and one of the campaigns complained and um, had them removed from people's faces because they found them too distracting. Oh, um, so it was it was it a was, crazy time. And I it, didn't you know, I didn't know him that well. Yeah. Um, like I said, it was only a couple of months. But um, but he was very he was surprisingly open about his life and stuff. And the you know, oh, yeah. few close conversations I've had, I had with him, you know, he talked a lot about, you know, his past and things he, you know, things he did and family and would things start, like that. He would start restaurants. Oh, he would so open wild. up, uh, he would, he would open up little business ideas. He took on a ton of bro, pro bono uh, clients. You yep. know, he, he, he was just, you know, he was that kind of a guy and, you know, it just, uh, and he drove around in an old Ford uh, red <laughs> tempo, a little hatchback thing that you could smell the cigar smoke before it, it pulled up next to you. It was crazy. He loved, um, he loved French fries more than anything in the world. Uh, and, and every meal I ever had with him, he had French fries and nothing else. Like I remember he took all of the volunteers to Wright's farm. Um, nice. And uh, I think he just, I think we he took us there because he liked their French fries, and that's all. He didn't have any chicken. He didn't have any pasta. He just had French fries. <laughs> like, can, like, can I? Uh, I'll sh- I'll share with you a little secret. This past weekend, I had an event, and I took my daughter to uh, to Wright's Farm on the way back because my wife uh, would prefer other restaurants, and so it was just me and my daughter. And I said, "Okay, Callie, we're going to go to Wright's," and and she. She remembers it as the place we go when we have the, you know, the entire family, like all 40 of us. Right. And uh, at, uh, at Wright's Farm, I tend to take the salad and put French fries on top of it after they've cooled a little bit. <laughs> there you go. And add a little extra of the uh, malt vinegar on top. Uh, yeah. So that's, 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 that's now a, you're talking. That's a treat right oh, there. Man. Yeah, I love I I'm a big malt vinegar French fry guy. Yep. You know, I, I, it somehow it reminds me of like playing Little League and going to the snack bar and like. Just, sure dumping tons of vinegar on my french fries and it somehow it just clicks with something in my nostalgia um, usually when we travel to places uh you know if we're going up to rochester to visit my wife's family or you know other places i either i'll stop at like a local target or somewhere and buy a bottle of malt or bring it up to <laughs> rochester with me for when we go out to restaurants it's byom bring your own malt for the fries and Without doubt, my nieces, you know, from, you know, my sister, uh, my wife's, 
my <laughs> that, that came out wrong. My nieces from my wife's side will, um, uh, you know, they'll be like, what are you doing? And Callie's eating it up. And I'm like, hey, you try one. And they're like, oh, it's like, yeah, you're not from Rhode Island. Get away. So, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so you mentioned your daughter. And one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was um, the adoption process and the foster care process, because um, you know, you've been very open about, um, these things, uh, online and, um, that you had, you know, you had, you and your wife adopted your daughter. I think you first had her, you were fostering her first maybe, and then adopted her. Um, so what, what made you guys decide that you wanted to foster children in the first place? So when I first met my wife, uh, 10 years ago, this July, uh, we met, uh, via mutual friends online. Um, one of the things we talked about early on in our dating, you know, even really before we started dating was some of our, I mean, cause we were older, uh, we were in our, our early, uh, early thirties. So, you know, we were a little older than, than the norm. Um, we, uh, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, adoption was something that, you know, we wanted to certainly pursue in life. Uh, and, you know, it, and, and go for, uh, you know, because it was just, it was just something that was, you know, we wanted to do and, uh, we both had a, you know, a, a burden for it and, you know, really felt it. Um, we actually, uh, so we got married in 2015, uh, and in 20, uh, 19, 2018, in 2018, um, one of the few things that uh, that uh, the Rhode Island DCYF did that was really good under Gina was they did a weekend of training because in order to become a licensed foster provider, you have to go through 10 classes. I think it's 10 or however many classes it is. And it's a certain amount of hours. And they only do like five, five groups or five, five people or five families at a time. And it's over the course of a few months. And if you miss one of the weeks, you have to wait until the next round. So it, 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 it's a process to get families, you know, certified and cleared. And of course, obviously you have home inspections, you have all sorts of training. There's a lot of different things that go into it. And the training is very good. It's, it's very necessary. Uh, even if, you know, sometimes there's a thing called, you know, uh, kinship uh, respite or kinship, which is like, if something happened and to, you know, a family member and they were children and because your kinship, they could, uh, they could kind of fast track it and say, well, these kids need somewhere to stay. This is a, a relative. Let's just do a quick, you know, emergency certification on kinship because they're related and go from there. Um, but in, you know, to get, you know, the full certification, it takes a while and they were at a point where there were more kids. There were a lot of kids in the system, uh, and and more coming each and every day, unfortunately. And uh, it was you know there was a backlog, and they have this thing you know, and they have it in almost every state called lobby kids. And what lobby kids are is every day uh, on a school day around two o'clock, kids from the local from the school district will show up uh, in the DCYF office and hang out in the lobby, and they're eating terrible snacks from the office. They're sitting there with usually a trash bag next to them of their, their belongings because they're getting bounced from group home to group home or, you know, temporary house to temporary house until they can find some kind of a short-term or long-term resolution because there weren't enough houses. 
Now you tell me, how can a kid possibly do well in school if every day they're switching homes, if every day they're going to uh, a different, uh, you know, a, a different bed, a different house with different smells, a different, you know, fabric softener and, and uh, detergent, uh, you know, washing their clothes and the sheets, this this bed is different. The toothpaste is different. All these different things. And so in an effort to reduce the amount of lobby kids, because they would literally sit in the lobby until they figured out where they could put these kids on a regular basis. And this still happens, by the way, uh, in, in mass Rhode everywhere, uh, Rhode Island, everywhere. Uh, but the in an effort to do that, they brought through on one weekend 200 families uh, through the foster care training program. And it was, it was well executed. It was a program they had done in Ohio at one point. And you literally got there on a Friday at four o'clock in the afternoon. They put us up in the Omni hotel. Everything was done at the, uh, the Red Island convention center. You didn't have to pay for a thing and you had zero reason to leave because literally from four o'clock to 10 o'clock that first night you were, they fed you dinner They got you registered. You went through your first round of classes and they rotated people through the different classes and whatnot. And then you would have interviews with the different local agencies uh, that they kind of would partner you up with. That's a way it's a great way of uh, executing the foster care system is to work with local nonprofits to say, because they can add an extra layer of of security and and they do their own checks. They can run their own trainings. They can do their own um, networking. So we went through this whole, and, and then on Saturday, you went from literally 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. And then on Sunday, you went from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. And when you left, you left there with a, a giant packet of information and a card that had what day they were coming to your home to do the inspection. And they kind of gave you every, like you, you drew the maps. They did everything, everything, everything they possibly could there that weekend. All your background checks, all your quarry checks were done. Uh, Everything was done, done, done right then and there. They brought in state police to do, you know, the, the fingerprinting and the, you know, if, if they hadn't, like they gave you a lot of stuff to do beforehand. Uh, But by that end of that weekend, you had a giant like folder, like three inches thick of, of all paperwork and everything you had learned and you made some friends and it was, it was really cool. Um, and then, uh, you had, like I said, that, that inspection within the next three weeks, uh, because there were only a few fire inspectors and they had, they only had so much time, but, uh, that was kind of the process where that kind of, where they kind of learned from that was you had 200 families thinking that within a month they were going to get a child. And that wasn't the case. It kind of flooded the system on the opposite way, which is a good thing. Uh, but it took a little bit longer. Uh, and, and so they, they kind of learned from that and they manage it a little better now. Uh, but it was, it was, it was a really good, and, and I give Ramundo's administration at the time, I give them a lot of credit because they had, they had gone out and they had got sponsors, uh, for this to, you know, help defray the cost of the meals to help defray the costs of, uh, you know, they, they had prizes and games. They had, you know, and they had great speakers there too, from the industry. This wasn't, there wasn't like a, a like your typical conference work conference. You go somewhere and it's like, okay, we're going to go get margaritas and sit by the pool or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, this was, this was a weekend. Like you, I, if you were a working person, you know, Monday through Friday working person, you probably needed the Monday just to decompress because it was so much information they gave you. Right. And I think, you know, it's, it's actually nice to hear because just in terms of, you know, of course, like government is not known for its efficiency. 
um, or necessarily doing things that make the most sense. But it's one of those situations where it, it's really good to hear because I often think about um, the process of like starting a business and how so many people are deterred from doing it because it's such a long, drawn out process that's very complicated. Um, and so I'd imagine, um, you know, condensing something like um, the process of becoming a, a foster family uh, into an intensive one intensive weekend would be very um, attractive to a lot of families because a they don't have to miss any work um, or you know if, if if these classes are usually at night for instance and you work nights that's a problem um, and it's a lot easier to um, to make plans around one weekend as opposed to many 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 weeks and many exactly. many many nights um, so that's great that's really great to hear um, now this so what was talk about your first experience um, fostering. And then I know that there was an all, another experience you had where you wanted to adopt your, the, your foster son, I think at the time. And then that there was a whole issue around that as well. And I just wanted to know what, like, what was your experience of trying to adopt and then there being some sort of problems with, with family members and things like that. Yeah. So essentially what had happened is, you know, I mentioned in my last, you know, 15 minute answer there. Sorry for talking for so long. No, no, it's um, great. I love, you know, it's great to, to as much detail as possible because I think yeah. a lot of people don't know about how this all works. Yeah. So, um, so as I mentioned, you know, there was that, that kind of that shift in, you know, where the, where the surplus was. Now we had a lot of families that, and, and, you know, the, kids were being taken care of and everything. And we got to a point where, uh, through, through my wife's work, uh, she was working at a, a company at the time over in Massachusetts. She was alerted to a situation where there was a child who was, uh, you know, 15 months old. Uh, he was in, uh, he was what they call on the adoption track. So there's either when you, when you, when a child goes into the system, uh, they're either placed on the reunification track. Well, I shouldn't say that. They almost every kid is placed on the reunification track until it's proven that reunification is not possible. And then they're placed into the adoption track. Uh, you know, if if you know, it, and it, that could be that can run the whole scope. And you know, you can figure out why things would go the way they would. But reunification is always the goal. And so, but this child had been in the system uh, long enough where he was on the adoption track. And because they did not have enough families, again, in Massachusetts, uh, we did, there are, we live in an area where, let's face it, you know, I'll probably drive into Massachusetts two or three times today alone. Right. Just getting to a different part of Rhode Island. Right. You know, it's, that's just the way it is. It's not a big deal. I can throw a rock and hit Swansea. So... <laughs> If I was a good throw, uh, the, but that's so that crossing the border, you know, over the border kind of thing, which got really interesting during COVID, but that's another story for another day. Yeah, right. Uh, the, uh, but so we were able to, uh, foster, uh, through, that was his name, uh, still is his name. Uh, we, through, um, uh, through that that kind of agreement between the states and everything and you know it, it goes back and forth and he was he was such a cool little guy um you know he he really had you know we, he and i really hit it off well obviously he, he hit it off well with my wife and 
you know, we, you know, it was just, it was a good fit. He was such uh, you know, a very sweet, you know, we, we did all sorts of things with him and then we had him for about a month and a half. And again, everything was adoption track and you have to, it takes a while. It's not like they're going to give you the, the child and say, okay, he's on the adoption track, you know, be at the court next week. We're going to bang the gavel and boom, here's, right. your, here's your child. You still have to go through the process. Well, about six weeks in, we got a, we were driving up to my, uh, up to Rochester, New York to see my wife's family. And, uh, we had with us, you had to get permission to go and we had permission to go Well, on the way up. We got a phone call from, uh, DCF, which is the Massachusetts system. The worker said, um, we just want you to know that uh, a family member has re-entered the picture and, uh, they, we think we're just going to reunify them with them. And the backstory is this family member a year and a you know, a year ago had kind of abandoned, like kind of threw their hands up and said, I, I can't do this and, and bailed. It's like, wait a second, hold on. Because the child's a year older now, now they think it's going to be better. Like, wait a second. And, and I, we kind of went back and forth and, and look, I, I, I speak for only, I speak for myself, you know, I work for, you know, I have a bunch of different clients that I work with and everything, but I'll say this, the Massachusetts, you know, system is very screwed up more so than the Rhode Island system. Um, you know, because again, it, it is the government for as efficient as they can be sometimes in these cases, there's a lot of, it just, it was just screwed up. And I remember having like, like going through and like downloading the Massachusetts PDF manual of like all, all the different regulations and stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going through, I'm like you guys are violating your own rules in so many cases. And I remember at one point, cause this went on for a few weeks because it got, it got very, they got very weird with us. You know, we were asking for information. Okay. Who is, who is his uh, attorney? Cause he's an assigned an attorney when they go into the system. Uh, well, we think it's somebody through this. I had to like jump through hoops to get that information they started they started really just you know uh you know you know dragging their feet and and you know screwing around with the system you know you spoke we were supposed to get a packet with uh, that came with him that had all you know different information and different benefits that he was entitled to or had access to we never got that and in one of the meetings i said we never got this packet can i and like well you're from rhode island you're not you know I'm like, no, but he's still, what? he he's still Massachusetts. He's still your, he, he's still custody. He's temporary custody of us, but he's still a ward of the yeah, state. That makes no sense. And they said, yeah, that's just the way it is. So I pulled out a $20 bill and I put it on the table. I said, if I pay you to make copies of that packet, can you make it? Because you're not shortchanging me, right. you're shortchanging him. And, you know, it, it, you know, it, it kind of got to that point. And I, I found all these violations. I ended up talking with people up in the Boston office and found where they had removed us as the foster parents in the front side and put us as a resource, even though we were still getting paid, uh, the foster care, the foster parent stipend. And even up there, they were like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. And I said, yeah, you guys should probably investigate this. Cause this is like really screwed up. I had said at one point to uh, talk about the stipend and obviously we, you, you, you do get a stipend, but you know, 99.999% of the people don't do it for the money. Um, at one point, you know, when this was going on, a foster worker, one of the workers from Mass DCF said, look, you get paid 
to do this. I don't see what the big deal, what, what you're, why you're raising up so many issues here. You know, just, just do your part. Stop what? asking questions because you're getting paid for this. Are you serious? And, and I said, yeah. And I said to the person on the phone, I said, do you think that this is a get rich quick scheme for me? Because let me inform you of something. You pay us $23 and 50 cents a day. He eats and craps that by noon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If money is the situation here, here's what I challenge you to do. Do a full study on the family member. Go for six months. Make the family member prove that they're not going to bail out like they did before. For that six months, don't pay us. Put that money in an account aside for, for him. And, you know, then, you know, we're he can access it, whatever, you know, you set it up well, with a bank, whatever. What makes no sense too, is that, you know, this, this, the child is on this, the adoption track initially. Yep. So why would they think that you're just trying to foster this child in order to make just for the stipend when clearly the, the end goal is adoption? Because re, be, it makes no sense. And no in sense. their, in their eyes, reunification is always the goal. That's where they get the positive numbers are. We reunited all these different kids. And, you know, I, you, then you end up with a bunch of cases like Massachusetts has right now currently going like the, the Harmony Montgomery case up in the northern part of the state. You had a case not that long after in Winchenden, Mass, where a, a two and a half year old ended up uh, dead after they reunited a, with a parent who was still under house arrest wearing an ankle bracelet. Oh, they wouldn't reunite with the other kids, but they did it for this child. And when they did the autopsy, they discovered multiple injuries in various stages of healing. Oh. I mean, it's just like, and, and, you know, I, and this was, you know, after the fact, after what we had been through and I, had, I had started and I had to be careful because, you know, even to this day, if, uh, if the little guy went back into the system for whatever reason, we were the last family that had him, we would get the first call to say, Hey, uh, he's back in the system. Are you, right. you know, are you able to, you know, to, to care for him? So, you know, we had to be very careful, especially back then and how much noise would make, but I was, you know, I was telling friends of mine who work in the news media and stuff. I said, go to the press conference for this and ask if those social workers, the different employees from DCF, if they're going to get arrested for the, for the, you know, for contributing, you know, uh, an accessory to murder in this because they didn't follow their protocols. And that that's how that child is. That's why, like, like, right. You, you found that the, you know, we learned that the daycare that one of these children was at uh, had made uh, a number of calls to the system to have this like, hey, the child's showing up with bruises, the child's showing up with, you know, injuries nothing was ever done and it was just like and, and again this is all like there's a thousand stories out there like this sadly tens of thousands of stories out there that where the the system you know just fails miserably did and they you, ever investigate your your situation so what had happened is the, the the it kept on going on and and this is what you know they i kept on bringing up different points and i finally got to a point where they weren't you know we weren't getting invited to appropriate meetings like we should have been, you know, that, you know, for case discussion and everything as the foster parent, we should have been there. And, you know, it was, everything started, they started going quiet on us, you know, even like I would email asking a question and they would just go really dark on us as far as like not getting information. It's like, hold on, wait a second. Um, you know, it, it just, it was, it was just very, you know, and, and we were super careful. We were trying to do like everything by the book. And, you know, it's like they they weren't playing by the rules with everything, with anything, really. And so they said, look, 
you know, we're going to, uh, we're going to go to trial on this because, you know, uh, his lawyer was, you know, really fighting for to stay with us. And there were experts who had, had evaluated the situation and we come to find out the DCF worker was giving, uh, legal advice to, uh, the family member. And to the point where oh, the, wow. the judge admonished that person in the court, but still nothing was done. And it was like, wait, wait a second. Like that, that that's a, you can't do that. You can't, that that's not, you can't give legal advice if you're not an attorney, <laughs> if you're not on the Massachusetts bar. And so this whole thing went down then. Uh, I remember it was November of 2019 and I had, I was walking into the courthouse. This was going to be a, a, a decision day uh, for a number of reasons because, uh, and, and we were very, you know, we went in there, we were very optimistic, you know, because we had been told like, look, this, everything is, you know, pointing this way, you know, it just, it, we had all the indicators and the attorney said, it was a Monday morning. She said, you're not going to believe this. Um, I think the family is going to try to do what they call third party guardianship, which is a loophole in Massachusetts where uh, the same court that determines who gets grandma's China, if grandma dies and doesn't have a will probate court would then uh, be able to uh, act and intervene oh, wow. for third party guardianship. And it, you know, there's, there's, there's good reasons why that, that law, that process exists but the loophole is it it is it works also with children under 18, which is, you know, in the foster care system, in the child welfare system, which that's the loophole. And sure enough, they exercise that. And when we had been told all along, look, if anything, even even if the decision was not that was going to stay with us, even if that was the case, it wouldn't happen that day. It flipped so fast, Eric. They said they they literally came out of the conference room and they said uh here's the deal it's over uh as oh. of noon they have they are now they've been deemed guardians oh I, I i was i was just dumbfounded and and i and i even said i said you can't be serious you can't you you you, you can't and it just there was just so many things and so all this to say you know it's you can't, you can't not act. You can't not intervene or, or do foster care or, you know, you know, through this, you know, through DCF, you can't not do it because the system screwed up. The fact of the matter is these kids still need you. What they need is strong advocates uh, and they need strong representation. And I know other people they've reached out to me over the past couple of years that have gone through the same thing. It's like, yeah, I know exactly what you're going through friends and family yeah, I know exactly what you go. Yep. This is what they said. They, they said the same thing to us. And so this is, you know, but that, that should never be a deterrent. And I tell that to people all the time. You can't you, look, look, if you're signing up for this, you're signing up for heartbreak. You, 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 you gotta know that going in. And, and there was, there was plenty of warning about that when we went through the classes for that weekend, when we were getting certified, um, we were warned on ver from various people, you know, in, given just the honest, you know, the cold, hard facts. Never did I think we would deal with it in, in that sense where right. it was, you know, through, you know, really just seemed like 
just shadiness of, of an agency, you know, a governmental agency. But so that's kind of, that was our experience. And, you know, I, yeah, it's, you, you gotta still, you know, if it's on your heart, if it's something that you really want to do, you know, I, I tell you that story, not as to dissuade you from doing it, but just as a, Hey, look, this is, this is a real possibility of what can happen. It, it may not, things may work. And I know people, I have friends that have adopted six kids from Massachusetts, you know, from the Massachusetts DCF. And, you know, they went through the ringer with a bunch of different things and, you know, it just, it, you know, fate was different. It worked out different in their case. They, you know, they, they have six kids all from Massachusetts You know, they live in Massachusetts and, you know, it was just, it's unreal, but that's, so there's, there's good and there's bad. I'm telling you how it worked out in a not so great way. But then during the pandemic in, uh, we, we had gotten a call from a family of friends of ours and they said, look, we're, we've just gotten placed with this little one, this little girl. Uh, and we are planning to go on vacation and we just don't have the capacity to bring her. They were going RVing and stuff. And they said, would you be able to take her for a week? And obviously we had a room that right. was, you know, empty. We had a, crib we had a right we had a whole bedroom all set up and so it was you know we okay let's do this and they said by the way she is fully adoption track like you know uh dad is unknown mom is has agreed to terminate parental rights she is on she's she's adoption track she's been that way for a while and just been bounced around so it just it fate worked out and that's how we ended up with Callie uh she came to us for that week of you know well, we, the family, that family was on vacation. She went back to them for a couple more weeks while we kind of got things sorted on the Rhode Island side and just, and everything took a little longer, of course, because of, you know, COVID was happening and just, you know, there was just natural delays, but, uh, you know, they're good family friends of ours and we were able to, you know, spend, you know, some time with Callie prior to her coming, uh, to, to live with us full time and then eventually become our daughter. So you talked about, I mean, the just the the heartache of going through a situation where, you know, you're bonding with this child and yep. and then to have the rug pulled out from under you and with with basically no recourse. Um, talk about the feeling of getting the word that the adoption of your daughter went through and you guys could move forward as a family. I mean, it was you know, such a such a juxtaposition between the two. I mean, complete, you know, I, I know that when I'll never forget when my wife, Susan and I were driving the first time to meet Callie uh, at our friend's house. Um, we were driving there and, and of course we were anxious. We were so anxious. We, we were almost an hour early. Uh, and, uh, we had to travel overseas cause they lived in North Kingstown and we live in Warren. Um, so we had to cross the highway and, uh, we, we, we got over there and like we were an hour early and my wife says, she was, we probably got to go get some food or something or, you know, go to a donut place or something like you're going to eat right now. My stomach's in knots. And we were having the conversation. <laughs> we're having the conversation. It's like, like, what if this, what if this ends up being the same thing we just went through? Right. You know, what if, what if this, what if this all goes down again? And, you know, we, we kind of, 
you know, sure. really had to guard your heart. Uh, but there were some, there were some extremely, extremely different starting circumstances. You know, we knew we had a much better idea on, on her history and, you know, we knew better as to what was going on. And, you know, they were much, you know, it was just, it was for whatever reason, it was just more clear. Um, Callie, when we first got her, did not like me for the first like five days. We had her for a week and she wouldn't go near me. Uh, if I walked in the room, she started really deep, heavy breaths, very nervous, very kind of standoffish and like just clung right to Susan. But eventually uh, she warmed, you know, she came up to me one day because I had chocolate pudding and she came <laughs> and was like, all right, I'm going to win you over with food. Okay. And, uh, and ever since then, she's been, you know, fine. But, you know, it was... You know, and even even at that, like the first I remember the first and second day of having her, like I couldn't go get her out of the crib after in, in the morning after she woke up. And I was kind of like, even to myself, I'm like, what am I doing? Like this, this, this child, obviously there's something going on here. I don't want to be the cause for emotional stress for her. Like, like, is this going to work out? Because, you know, what if this doesn't? What if this doesn't clear up? What if she something you know there's just something deeply down that she's just triggered for whatever reason and you know but you know thank thank goodness for chocolate pudding uh that you know that the the chocolate pudding pie the chocolate cream pie rather that uh you know that kind of broke that but you you go through it and you you really have that okay you've got to prepare yourself now listen eric i i know people who i i've uh friends of the of my extended family and i've known these people for many years they have had almost 200 foster kids come through their home uh they're in their early late 60s early 70s they've had almost 200 foster kids come through their home uh over the course of uh, four or five decades wow uh they you know he was in construction big huge guy if you saw him you you i mean he was just he is the definition of you know you just didn't mess with him he was a biker. Uh, you know, he was just, I mean, huge. He would break. He was his, his family, his business was roofing. And his, when he was a kid, his dad, uh, you know, it, he was the reason why his dad had to switch to, you know, metal ladders because uh, as his name is Bill, as he would climb the ladders, he would break the rungs. He was so big, Holy not smoked. not overweight. He would he was so strong. He would have six packets of shingles and if you've ever list, lifted a bundle of shingles he would do six of them at a time on each shoulder oh uh, three and three climbing up the roof uh, the ladder to the roof to throw the shingles up and yeah would, i can't identify with that it's, it's, it's a lot it's uh, yeah neither can i but i mean the guy was just and you see him you would see him with you know you know we would see him at church and at different events with you know these kids who are four you know three four or five years old and they would just be all over him. And and he was just this giant teddy bear with them. Just, you know, and he said, he goes, there are days where I would wake up. He goes, and DCYF would come in the middle of the night and, you know, they would bring kids. My wife would get up and, you know, put them to bed and whatnot. He goes, I'd be sitting at the breakfast table with, you know, two or three kids that I've never seen before in my life. I just look at him. Hey, what's your name? You know, like we're, <laughs> we're all just getting to know each other here um, in, in this strange house. And, you know, so I, I but they they had a burden specifically for fostering and, you know, they know it's temporary and some people and, and you know, at some point we may get to that in our lives where it's OK. You know, we have Callie if we we choose to adopt again, which we hope to, you know, 
you know, you know, the, we may get to a point where we're just doing respite and, and, you know, temporary foster care. Um, and that's fine. But, you know, if you're going into it with the mindset, you know, just make sure with yourself, you know what your mindset is. Okay. Are you going in this to, you know, to be a permanent thing? Are you going in this to be a, you know, a temporary thing? Because look, good people make mistakes. Good people make, you know, and, and the, the, un, the unintended consequences sometimes are the children has to go into foster care and reunification is completely, is completely valid. It was just a mistake. It was a little blip and a person gets themselves sorted out and then absolutely that child should go back. So, uh, you know, those are the situations that, you know, it's, you want to be there to help. So it's, there's a lot of elements to it. I mean, you could, I mean, there are podcast series and hours long videos out there about these stories and everything. Uh, but there, you know, it is, it is certainly a, uh, you know, it's, it's, again, it's a, it's a, 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 it's a, it's a process that will, you know, give you the greatest joy in the world and a process that will crush you when you least expect it and every emotion in between. Well, Ben, I really appreciate you sharing the story. And, you know, I, it's been a joy for me, just especially knowing what you went through um, the first time and, and just seeing the photos and the videos, you know, of, uh, you know, you mowing the lawn with uh, with Callie and doing all these fun things. And just you guys seem so happy. Um, and uh, and I, I remember when you, you know, sort of announced on social media that, the adoption was final and everything. I remember just feeling so happy for you guys because um, you are really good people. And, um, you know, maybe this podcast will help people who are looking for some help um, in this particular area and don't really know what to do or don't have anyone to talk to. And I think I think your experience really can can help a lot of people who might be um, wanting to get into this, because, again, I, I they're it's something I think most people just don't know a lot about. And I think even if you read about it, it, it's tough without that firsthand account and that firsthand experience to really get a sense of what it's like. So I really appreciate uh, you coming on. Have you had a chance to take her up to the ballpark for people that don't know? Ben is the public address announcer for the Worcester Red Sox. Have you had a chance to take her up there? So I have, uh, well, well, my wife has brought her up and that was, you know, that was, one of the cool things, you know, when, when, he, when we had the little boy, we were still at McCoy and, and Pawtucket and, and honestly, you know, my wife, because it was just a different time back then would just, and it was a different kind of setup. My wife would come after a nap on a Sunday after he woke up and bring him and, you know, he came, you know, a few times and that was fun. He enjoyed it. Uh, didn't know much what was going on, but he just knew, uh, but it was, you know, uh, but Callie came uh, last year to her first ball game and it's uh you know she came and she would she sat with me for a little bit was doing the public address announcing and she's when she's when she's <laughs> observe, when she's observing like when she's watching somebody do something is she you just see like how intently she's watching and just taking notes and following every little thing and she would see me push the button and talk and then release the button and kind of you know figure it all out uh, during the third inning of every game, they bring up a child to be the junior announcer for the bottom half of the third inning. And so when that happened, uh, you know, my wife was also in the room. And so I said, I said, okay, Callie, you're going to sit with mommy for a bit. Uh, and, and this, you know, a child, it was actually, it was actually make a wish day. Uh, and so it was, a, it was a child who, you know, was dealing with a terminal illness and, uh, 
sitting there and you know you kind of you, you, you okay you're gonna do this and push the button you let the kid kind of you know the kids not, obviously the kid's not sitting on my lap he's just sitting in my seat i'm just kind of moving the mic for him and telling him what to say right but the whole time callie kept on asking my wife like why is that other little boy there <laughs> i want to do well i want to do that it's like well we need to give them a turn it's hard and, for them to understand exactly it's like <laughs> it's like so as soon as the, the boy left like callie was like yeah get out of here it's my daddy. Uh, it's, just, it's so. It's she, so cute. It was. It was funny, and you know. So you know. So she has come up to the the ball field. She's more interested. Oh, that's in great. The, she's more interested in the playground and the outfield than she is, or ice cream than she is with me. But you know, that's uh, that's what happens. So well, it sounds great, and I I'd love to get up there too uh, at some point with my little ones for a game because the park's beautiful, and uh, I think it would be fun to get up there. And um, I'll certainly let you know if I do. Yes. And um, and. Ben, thanks again, man. It's it's always good talking to you. And, um, you know, I hope to have you on again. Maybe we can talk about some of the crazy things that are going on in Rhode Island, like oh, the it's Ed day. Cooley situation. <laughs> and you're just a fun guy to talk to about these ah. sorts of these sorts of, you know, Rhode Island drama story. You know, these things that were like take that 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 really grab the the zeitgeist of Rhode Island. Um, so uh, such a crazy so little place. Come on again. In. Such a crazy little place we live in. It Absolutely is, but it's, gr- it's great. It's great. I think we both love it. So, yep. um, Ben, thanks again. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. This is the Just Listening Podcast. I got to go. Go where? I mean, we just got I got that thing. I got to go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together. Okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.